You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, good morning. Joshua, I love hiring on our staff team a farmer because farmers learn how to work hard. I think much of the Christian life is connected to that idea in the illustration of farming. And uh, that's probably one of the best ways to think about your marriage. It's probably one of the best ways to think about your Christian identity. Uh, You're a farmer and you better work hard. You can't control everything. You've got to be highly dependent and you got to got to work at it. So it's really cool. This morning we're going to get into a great passage, Luke chapter eight, verses four through fifteen. Um, it's the secret of spiritual growth. And so this morning, before we get started, I have a couple announcements uh, on our campus development. As you drove in, you perhaps saw that big building on the right hand side, the long building. Um, uh, the good news is, is we've been working at that. You guys. Uh, we've come so far as a church. Uh, last week, we're actually celebrating seven years old as a church. Let's celebrate that. I promise we'll have a big 10-year anniversary party and all that. We're making a lot of progress. We, you guys have volunteered and, and gave money uh, financially to help us with our campus. You've seen a lot of improvements on our campus. Uh, we are still working as much as we can. We had a team out uh, last weekend to help do some more framing, do some jackhammering. We're doing everything we possibly ca- we can under the current permit. However, uh, there is a problem. The problem is, is that the city is still on us to try to pave these parking lots and uh, we don't have the money to do that. And so uh, right now we're going to, I'm asking you to pray and ask God to give us more favor and we go into the city maybe next week or something like that. We're trying to arrange that and just say, look, we cannot pave all the parking lots. We need to put our money into buildings that can open up space for kids and adults and youth. That's where we got to put our money. And uh, so be praying for that. They have the power. And uh, God's, God's got the power too. So we're walking in this in faith and prayer. And so we're kind of held up right now and can't move too much further on the building until we get that resolved. So plan is to address it. We're going to do that. And, uh, and, but here's, here's again, I just want to say thank you. I feel really good as a pastor uh, having started the church with my wife and a, and a small team of people, and many of you guys are founding members, seven years in, all I see is a common characteristic. What makes this church great is people who are committed sacrificially to serve, to show, to share the love of Jesus Christ. So special thanks to all of you who've given, all of you who have served to help make us get thus far. Amen? We celebrate that. So listen, thank you for giving and serving. Together, we're going to build a strong future. The community is growing all around us. The next seven years is going to be an awesome ride. Uh, so I've said we've made it through the startup. Now we're getting through the buildup. That's what we're in. We're in the buildup phase. Um, we got a strong future ahead of us. Got the community, the city growing all around us. And uh, maybe some of you want to participate in this resource initiative. You can find out more information about the resource initiative we did. It's on our website. You go to about, and then it says resource initiative. 
And in that, you can find out all the details of the resource initiative that we launched uh, not too long ago. And uh, many of you maybe weren't here or you were unable to participate and contribute at some level. Maybe you'd like to. If you do so, that helps us move further and faster into finishing up our projects. So I want to encourage you to, to do that if that's you. And uh, thank all of you who give faithfully to, to be faithful in the area of that resource project. So be in prayer with us on that, and uh, we're going to get started this morning in today's message. Uh, I heard a story, a funny story, a joke about this airplane that was about to crash. There was four passengers on the plane, but there was only three parachutes. The first passenger freaked out and said, I'm a leading heart surgeon. My patients need me. So he took a parachute and then he jumped. The second guy, passenger, says, I'm a rocket scientist, one of the smartest men alive. My country needs me. So he took a parachute and he jumped. The third passenger was Pope Francis. He said to the fourth passenger, which was a little 14-year-old boy who was a Boy Scout, he said, son, I'm an old man. I'm frail. I don't have much life to live. You can have the last parachute. The Boy Scout said, without hesitating, don't worry about it, sir. There are still two parachutes left. The Pope was puzzled. And then the Boy Scout said, see, sir, the smartest man alive, he just jumped out with my backpack. <laughs> Sometimes I think that we, we think that we're ready to go, and then we find out we missed it. We messed up. Sometimes in life, we forget to pay attention to the details. This morning, you cannot afford to miss the details of God's word. We're entering into perhaps the most popular parable ever told by Jesus, whose storyline has gone from generation to generation to every continent in the world, told by all peoples around the world. And today, I don't want you to miss the details. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray this morning that we don't miss the details. I pray that your spirit would help us to understand, to, to learn, and be receptive to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. In your Bible, it says the parable of the sower. Um, perhaps maybe a better title for what that would be is the, the parable of the soils. Um, Jesus said in verse 4, uh, he's gonna, Luke is going to introduce us to Jesus' ministry. Luke is a historian, a follower of Jesus, and he writes this, And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable. We're introduced to a parable. A parable is a story to help make maybe complex truths more plain. On one side, it's to reveal truth about God and his will and his ways. On another side, it's intended to conceal, to keep hidden. And so what we're going to learn today is Jesus is going to address a crowd. It's interesting enough, the crowd is mentioned 41 times in the Gospel of Luke. You say, so what's so important about that? You need to know who Jesus is speaking to. The Bible says that he's speaking to a crowd. What is a crowd? A crowd in Luke's uh, portrayal is an interested 
a curious, but they're not committed. They're a little fickle or flaky. You can't depend on them. They like Jesus. They've heard about his miracles. They've heard about his powerful preaching. They thought this is a really amazing guy. They're moving from town to town to see this guy. You know, uh, recently on, on the news, perhaps you saw about the crowds of people that were supposed to storm Area 51. Millions of people said on a Facebook event, I'll be there, I'll be there. And then I did a little research and out of the millions and millions of people that said they were gonna storm Area 51, guess how many showed up at the gate? 40. What happened? I'll tell you what happened, it's a crowd. That's the kind of crowd Jesus is dealing with. He knows that when he's communicating, he's dealing with a fickle and flaky mass group of people. They're interested, excited, but they've got very little substance or commitment to Jesus. So Jesus is going to help us to understand the kingdom of God, the, God's will, God's ways in a story. Verse 5, he says, a sower went out to sow his seed, and he, as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Jesus immediately, here's what he does, he paints the picture that in, a, in an illustration they can connect with. It's a farming illustration. These folks were, lived in an agrarian society. They were into art, uh, agriculture. And Jesus says, he's just starts to tell a story. A sower went out to sow his seed. And so he, back then you would have a, a bag of seed strapped around your neck. I've done it before. And you, you hopefully you've got the field kind of plowed up and you're just scattering seed. Back in my, uh, the rice ranch back in Arkansas, we had this sack we would wear on our side and we would just kind of hand crank the seed and the seed would scatter out. And what Jesus is doing, he's telling a story. And he says that some fell along the path. Make a note, maybe on your program or in your Bible, that's the first portion of seed that hits the ground. Jesus is going to illustrate and teach more about that. The people listening would have realized this is something they care about. Typically speaking, a farmer in that time frame and in that area, they would begin to sow the seed in the fall time, much like today's time, right here where we're at. Then they would expect in the spring there'd be a crop, and then in the June there'd be a harvest. And these folks, I think uh, maybe the, their attention was caught, especially when Jesus said that there's birds of the air that devoured it. Under Jewish thought, a bird was an evil figure of destruction. And so now the guys, the crowd's listening, and they're thinking, what is this guy talking about? He's just, he's a, he's a miracle worker, but he's talking about a farmer. I, I've seen plenty of farmers, or oh, I farm, my uncle farms, my, my brother's farm, whatever. But now he's, is he trying to give spiritual meaning here? Jesus continues on and he tells about additional portion of seed. And he says in verse six, and then some fell on the rock. And as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. You see, in that area, there would be a layer of ground and with limestone right underneath the soil. The condition was very common in the Palestinian countryside. So in other words, you'd have a, a section of a, a dirt out there 
and it looks like great fertile soil, but if you were to take a staff and hit it on the ground, you'd hit a, hear a big thud. And that would be the rock. It would be this layer of dirt about two inches deep, and then right below that is this massive limestone. Jesus says, well, when the seed fell on that one, it grew up, but it withered away. Why is that? Because the scripture tells us it had no moisture. The seed was planted. Uh, the seed began to grow. There was rain, and then there was sun. But when the roots started to form into that little tiny plant, it had nowhere to go. So it only had a couple of inches. So all the moisture is going to dry up when that big hot sun comes out and dries up that dirt. And so Jesus says, that's the second portion of seed that falls on the ground. And then we learn about the third portion of seed. Verse 7. He says, and some fell among the thorns. Among thorns. And the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Now, weeds and thorns and thistles back then, in that context, they could grow up to six feet tall. And if you weren't a farmer, and if you weren't understanding kind of the, that, that, uh, that these kinds of plants, you would think, oh, it's beautiful. Because actually these thorns and these, these, these bushes that would take in root um, would bud into like a red and a blue and a green. And so for the passerby who knew nothing about farming, that's a beautiful field. No, it's a terrible field. There's no value to it at all. Years ago, I, uh, as a kid, I, I grew up and we, every year we would go on this big hunting trip, my, my dad and my brothers, and we still go, um, and we would go to this location in, in northern Arkansas where the White River and the Buffalo River meet. It's a beautiful area. And what we found out was years and years ago, maybe about 100 years ago, people came in and they built out these beautiful watermelon uh, fields right along the river. Boats would come in and they'd load up the watermelons and ship them out. And uh, what happened over years and years, folks just quit doing the farming and then thorns, thistles grew up. So if you were to go there today, you would have no clue it used to be a fertile field. Jesus is painting a picture. He's talking about three portions of seed thus far. Some fall on the path, others fall on the rock, and others fall on the thorns. What's the common denominator? It's the same sower, sowing the seed, casting it out, but there's four different, so, uh, four different soils we're going to learn about. Here's the fourth, verse 8. And then he says, and some fell into what? Good soil. And grew and yielded a hundredfold. Now, a hundredfold's a big deal. Um, most plants wouldn't produce a hundredfold. It'd produce maybe 30-fold or 35-fold. So they're thinking, what's he talking about? And he said these things, it says, and he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, originally I was thinking, what is Jesus thinking? Like these people don't have ears? Like, of course they've got ears. Are they just people standing there with a head but no ears? No, these guys got ears, but they're not hearing. See, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. My wife says to me, hey, Ryan, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. What'd I say? 
well, why don't you clarify that before I tell you back? And then she says, you didn't hear me, did you? And I said, no, I didn't hear you. Jesus is calling them to hear. Many come and they listen, but they're not really hearing. Verse 9, now the disciples get in on a special Q&A session. They've got a special private time. They know that this is not just an agricultural lesson in learning horticulture and all that stuff. They know there's something special here. And so they're asking what this parable meant in verse 9. What does it mean? In verse 10, we learn, Jesus says, to you it's been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. To who? To the crowd? Not to the crowd. To the disciples. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who's committed to follow and know Jesus Christ. So for every person here that says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, to you the secrets of the kingdom of God are for you. The details are going to matter. Listen to this. And then he says, but for others, who are the others? That's the crowd. They are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Purpose of a parable, to reveal. Purpose of a parable, to conceal. Number one, if you want to grow in your life, you need to understand the principle for spiritual growth is the secret of spiritual growth. It is a secret. Jesus called it the secret of the kingdom of God, and now he's going to explain it. What is it? The secret of spiritual growth in verse 11, Jesus says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Let me say that again. The seed is the word of God. Let me say that one more time. You're like, I know I heard you. No, listen, the seed is the word of God. A seed is really special because it comes to you in just a little tiny thing, just a little tiny acorn. I can remember years ago as a kid, we planted oak trees and you get an acorn and you plant it. See, in the Christian life, what we oftentimes want is we want our lives to be strong. We want our marriages to be strong. We want our business to be strong. We want to be strong Christians. Well, listen, every time I preach and the word is preached, wherever church you go to, Christian message you listen to, those are seeds being cast out. And it comes to you, the truth, the secret about the kingdom comes to you in seed form. And what God wants to do with those seeds is he wants you to be the farmer, to till it, to care for it, to nurture it, to cultivate it. That soil is something we've got to take care of. Seeds are small and they're dependent on good soil. They're dependent on water and sun. And oftentimes we think our potential our destiny are these great massive spiritual giants, these strong people who can go through any trial or temptation or go through any hardship and adversity. When the reality is, is God saying, I just want to plant a seed in your life and, and I want you to bury that thing and till that thing and care for that thing. And what we often do is if we hear a message that we don't like or we listen to a sermon that we don't like, we think, oh, something's wrong with the sermon. Oh, this guy did that or this guy this or this or this. Oftentimes my response would be is the problem's not in the, in the sermon. It's oftentimes in the soil. The problem for spiritual growth is often in the soil. There's nothing wrong with the seed here. It's Jesus' proclaimed word about the kingdom. It's the gospel message. Jesus is saying the seed is the word of God. That word of God, I, you should take it in its context. It's about the proclamation of Jesus pro proclaiming that he is the Lord. 
Verse num- or number two, the second principle for spiritual growth is understanding the enemy of spiritual growth. The enemy for spiritual growth, the Bible tells us, is the devil. Verse 12, Jesus clarifies that this first group of seeds that's scattered along the ground, he says the ones along the what? The path. Are those who have heard, and then the devil comes, the diablo, the deceiver, the father of lies comes, and what's he going to do? He comes and he takes away the word, that is the seed, from what? Their hearts. What is that spiritually meaning? The soil, so that they may not believe and be saved. And there's that imagery as well, that idea of the birds coming along and picking off the seeds. Right now, if you were to walk outside and you smell that beautiful smell, <laughs> it's not beautiful, um, you would see, okay, we're, we're, we're tilling up the soil, we're getting it ready, and just in, in a few weeks, we're going to put lots of seeds all over the ground, and we're doing that even now. And you know what you will see over the next few weeks is lots of birds, and they're going to snatch those things up. Jesus is starting to push and to pry into the listeners and to give help clarity to these disciples. Any follower of Jesus needs to know that you've got an enemy. He does not want you to grow. He does not want you to know. And for everybody that, that comes to this place where they're trying to, to, to make a decision for Jesus Christ, the Bible says that there's a spiritual attack going on. When people are sitting in church and they hear about Jesus and their hearts get a little interested and curious all of a sudden, what we've got is a spiritual attack where the devil will come away and try to take away the word that was sown through the preaching and teaching. And so there is no belief. There's no trust. There is no salvation. What the devil's agenda has always been is to silence the witness. The devil hates our church. The devil hates your Christian marriage. The devil hates your Christian kids. The devil, what he wants to do is to steal kill and destroy anything that's good, anything that's godly. And he'll keep as many people away from knowing Jesus as possible. We need to understand this principle of spiritual growth is that there is a real enemy. Thirdly, we need to understand the principle about the hindrance of spiritual growth. What is that? I believe this pertains to 90% of, of those that may have what would, would say... Uh, a Christian affiliation. I am Christian by culture. I go to church because my parents go to church. I am a Christian because my parents were Christians. Are you a devout follower of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in his death, burial, resurrection? Do you live, you love Jesus? Well, I don't know about all that, but I'm Christian. These are these people. Verse 13 And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy, but they have no root, and they believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. This is what I would call a shallow faith. And I think if we're honest, we've been there before. Our faith is shallow at times. In this context, Luke, the author Luke doesn't clarify what does it mean to fall away. Does it mean that they, they fell away and they, they lost their salvation? Or does it mean that they fell away and they struggled in their, their belief to, to live for Jesus and they went away for just a little bit and then they came back and returned? Luke doesn't clarify. And there's arguments, biblical ones, on both sides for it, what is this? 
The question somebody asked me, do you believe somebody can lose their salvation? My response would be is no, I don't. Although I've got plenty of friends in our church here that say, no, I believe you could lose your salvation. But what does this mean? What this means at the, at the least it means is that there are those that hear the word of God and they receive it with joy and they get excited and then they have no roots. Why? Because their, their faith is two inches deep. They've got two inches of soil of depth of their spiritual life and their heart. And then right below that is this big rock of unbelief, this big limestone of sin, and it needs to be jackhammered up and broken down. And what Jesus is saying here is that those that don't ever get the roots, they believe for a while, and then a time of testing, they're going to fall away. They're not, they're not going to continue on. Do they ever return? Luke doesn't say. But here's at least what we know is this is incredibly problematic, and I would say it classifies a large number of folks. They go through, they make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, they are baptized, they hear the word, they get excited. Yeah, I love the Christian life. Pastor Ryan said the Christian life is the best life. Yeah, woo! And then all of a sudden, their marriage gets into big trouble. They hit financial troubles. Where's God? I don't really care for God anymore. My response back to them, man, have you been going into God's word? Have you been seeking godly counsel? No, I haven't. I just come on Sundays. If all you do is hear the words here and never dig deeper, you're going to have a shallow faith. You need a deeper faith, ladies and gentlemen. And when we begin to have that rock of, and our faith begins to get shallow, and we've got two inches of depth in any area of our spiritual life, and there's this limestone of rock that's preventing future growth. What we need is the jackhammer of repentance to break up that hard heart. Bible says is that God wants to remove a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. God says he wants to take that which is hardened and he wants to soften it. Don't let this hindrance of spiritual growth, this I would call it spiritual apathy or this shallow, superficial faith stunt your spiritual growth. There's another uh, hindrance as well, though. It's this hindrance of spiritual growth is the thorns. In verse 14, he says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but they go on their way, and they're choked by the cares the worries, the riches, the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. So, I get it. There's these hindrances. And the Bible says that these cares and worries can distract. It can deter you from the fruitfulness that God wants in your life. If you worry a whole lot, that can thwart your fruitfulness. Why? Because instead of going to God in prayer, you're trying to fix it yourself. Or perhaps you're just caught up in the, 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 the love for money. The Bible has nothing against money as long as you don't love it and worship it. But Bible does say, you know, Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's like a, a camel trying to go through the eye of the needle. It's impossible. Why is that? Because money has such a power and a magnetism to turn your affections away from God and to turn them towards money. 
And so these things can grow up in your life, constantly wanting the, the bigger, the better, the nicer, the most everything you can get, the self-indulgence and these cares and worries. And honestly, newsflash, the more you have, the more you're going to stress. The more you acquire, the more you got to maintain. And this is a hindrance. I think of the story of the rich young ruler when he came to Jesus, well, what must I do to fulfill the law? And Jesus says to him, hey, you're wealthy. Why don't you go sell all you have and give to the poor? Why did he say that? Because that man loved money more than his master, Jesus. So who's Jesus talking to? I would argue that in, in, in the initial hindrance, this rock illustration, the shallow Christians, he's addressing the crowds, the masses, those that say, hey, I like Jesus, I want to follow Jesus, Jesus is cool. Perhaps in modern day America, it's the masses, the millions of people that would claim the name of Jesus Christ, but they have such a shallow faith, people question, is it even real at all? Jesus is addressing the crowds there. And then here in this, this, this additional grouping where they fall among the thorns, I believe he's addressing those that are wealthy and affluent in his context. And then here is the, the fourth principle we're going to learn about, the cultivation of spiritual growth. How do we do it? What does God's word say about it? This is the fourth grouping where the sower sows the seed. It would be what I would call a healthy faith. And I believe his audience, he's calling for committed disciples. And he says in verse 15, as for that in the good soil, they are those, this is what we all want to be, who hear the word, that is the word of God being preached, that is the word of God being taught. Uh, they hear it and they hold it fast. Number one, what does it look like to cultivate your spiritual life? You hold fast to it. You know what that term means in the original language? It means that you're wedded, wedded to God's promises. It's like the idea that you're married to God's promises. Like, hey God, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what trial, no matter what temptation, no matter what hardship, no matter what I go through, I'm married to you and your promises, no matter what. And I'm not going to divorce you, God. That's what it means to hold fast. That's the terminology. Uh, the, the, in Genesis, it's to hold fast to his wife. Uh, and, and the Apostle Paul uses the same kind of language. It's the idea like you heard somebody say before, hey, man, I got this idea about this project over here and I want to do this and that. But listen, I'm not married to it. I'm just, it's my idea. What Jesus is saying is if you want to cultivate spiritual growth, you need to hold fast to the word of God. In other words, maybe you're in a church service today. Maybe it's in two weeks, three weeks. And something the preacher says, you're like, man, that was good. Like, I should write that down. Well, if you hold fast to it, what that means is, is you took like an acorn and you planted it in your heart and you say, I'm going to make sure this thing grows. I want that part of my life to grow. And I'm going to protect it. I'm going to nurture it. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to jackhammer the rock of limestone and sin and disbelief and stubbornness out of that thing. And I'm going to make sure that that acorn is going to grow into this massive oak of righteousness. And I believe that first part of cultivation is incredibly important. Hold fast to it. And then he goes on to say, 
it's about an honest and a good heart. What does that mean? That means if you're going to grow spiritually, you need to stay integrous. You need to have integrity. In your workplace, in your private life, you need to be a man. You need to be a woman of integrity. You need to be a, a young man, a young woman of integrity. That means you're, you're seeking to do the Lord's will in all things, in all times, in all places. It means that when, you're, when, when you're, your faith is getting shallow in one area, you're going to jackhammer that thing up and you want it to grow more. It means that you're going to face the challenges. If you don't know how you can get more spiritual growth in one area of your life, you're going to go out and get help and say, can you help me grow here? I mean, if I was moving to Phoenix and I wanted to be a farmer, I'll tell you where I'd go. I'd go down to the West Valley. I don't know how they get things to grow down there, but I drive down through there and I'm like, we, I feel like I'm in farm country down here. They've learned how to make use of the canals, the waters, and they get plenty of sun 299 days out of the year. They get sun, but they make sure that soil is tilled up. It's no two inches of earth. It's deep. You've got to cultivate your life with a life pattern, a consistency like that sunshine 299 days out of the year. You need 299 days plus of walking in integrity. Uprightness. Why? Because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. God gives blessing and favor. He always rewards those who diligently seek him. And you want to walk in that. The last one is this, is that we just walk in patience. Some of you are going through a really hard time right now and your temptation would be is have a shallow faith mindset and say, God, you're not growing this thing. You're not doing this thing. I'm falling away. I'm running away from you and your, your plan for my life. That word patient means to bear up under. It means literally, like if I was to pick this thing up and then start carrying this thing around, it means I'm gonna bear up under it and it's gonna look awkward and it's gonna be uncomfortable but I'm going to bear up under it. When you, when you got to deal with spiritual life, you need to think about the farmer. You're going to have to bear up under problems. When you, you feel like, I can't do anymore, God. Well, God says, shape up. I want to strengthen your calves. I want to strengthen your legs. I'm going to help you to bear up under these burdens. And then what does he do? He gives extraordinary kinds of power, extraordinary levels of patience that he wants to use in your life so that you can stay strong and keep moving forward. That idea of patience is bearing up under the pressure. I want to share with you a story of a young lady in our church who went through incredible adversity and uh, it's a challenging situation. And, and she uh, had to really hear from the Lord and make some incredibly difficult, life-changing decisions. Pay attention to the details. I met Josh in 2006 on a mission trip. He was funny, charismatic, super friendly, and I thought, like, this is it. This is the fairy tale that I waited for. Uh, we got married in 2007 when I was 19, and he was finishing his degree to be a youth pastor, so I left my family and moved to Texas so that he could do that, so that he could go to school. Um, shortly after we moved, he decided that he wanted to pursue MMA fighting instead of being a youth pastor. So he quit his job, quit school, 
and when after that I ended up having to work about 50 hours a week just to support both of us and I think that was a big stressor. There was a lot of fighting and we both had really short tempers and not a lot of patience. Um, but it was almost like a switch flipped. I saw a huge personality change and it was pretty scary. Um, he became very verbally and physically abusive. But one day he got a call from a small church in Rome, Georgia that needed a youth pastor and all of a sudden he was interested in ministry again. Our time there ended in a huge fight that resulted in him breaking a door down with me on the other side. Um, he grabbed me, threatened me, screamed at me, um, but thankfully he, he ended up just leaving, just storming out, and he drove to Texas that night. So I moved back to Florida with my parents, and um, some of the verbal abuse continued over the phone. I couldn't make the decision to get a divorce, which I'd been told was a sin. I ended up buying a plane ticket to Texas because I thought maybe if I can just talk again in person, like maybe I can fix it. I landed in Atlanta and I was walking to my connecting flight and I got physically sick. Like I felt so nauseous at the thought of getting on the plane to Texas that I couldn't do it. He got very drunk that weekend and left a lot of yelling and screaming voicemails, threats and insults, and it was really hard to hear that. Um, but that Sunday I woke up and I can't explain it, but I just felt a peace that I hadn't felt in a really long time. I honestly feel like God was protecting me. In the years since then, I've found out that he was arrested for domestic violence that was even worse than anything I experienced. After a lot of prayer, I did file for a divorce and he refused to sign the papers so it took a while but it was finally finalized in August of 2009. Um, a few months later, I received a Facebook message from Tristan Pierce. So we started talking a bit and he knew some of what was going on with me through our mutual friends so he asked how things were doing and in January of 2010 we decided to go on a mission trip to Honduras and we spent a month there and after that we just knew that we had a friendship that might be something more and then shortly after I finished school we were married in 2012. So we moved to Phoenix in July of 2015 uh, for Tristan's job and we knew that a church community was really important and the first sign we saw was a sign on the side of the road for North Valley so we tried it and we've been here ever since. We were placed in a small group and it was really refreshing to see people sharing their stories, sharing their hardships. It wasn't people putting on a Christian facade like I'd seen a lot growing up. A group of people that are not perfect, that just they love Jesus and they're trying to do better. Tristan and I have been married for seven years now and our little girl was born in 2016. She's three and I just feel very grateful. I think when we're we're in those situations, when we're in 
those seasons of despair, it's really hard to see a way out. But I'm learning every day that God uses it all, the good, the bad, feast or famine. He uses every bit of it for His glory, and I'm really grateful that I'm at a place that I can see that now. We can celebrate that just for a moment. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, the Bible tells us that the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And, you know, we're here to help as a church. Um, months ago, I taught a message, what people need to know, and we did research, and the number one question people wanted to know about was divorce. And, uh, you know, that decision that Laura had to make was a, a long, hard, that bearing up under pressure, patience. And the Bible um, affirms the permanency of marriage, and so do we as a church. There are two exceptions in the Bible for uh, divorce, and that is adultery and abandonment, according to the Apostle Paul in Jesus. And... If you want more resources or teaching on that, uh, I want to encourage you to go online and listen to that message. What does the Bible have to say about divorce? But here, here's what I wanted you to get out of this. I know a lot of folks go through this. Um, what you need to know is that in all of your life, what the devil will do is he's intending to plan for destruction. But whatever was destroyed, no matter where you're at or what you've done or what's happened to you, you need to listen to me. God can use to develop you. And what the enemy plans for evil, God can create and make for good. So whatever you've got going on right now, my prayer is, is that you would trust in this. Steward the seed that is being sown into your life. Cultivate that and let it grow so that you can grow, walk, and trust in him. The Christian life is the best life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, Father, for all those that might be going through a marital hardship. Lord, would they seek godly counsel, professional counsel? Would they look to your word, God? Would they seek for restoration and redemption? And Lord, in those rare cases where there is no other way, Lord, we trust that you're going to do your divine purpose to take a destruction and use it for development. We thank you in Jesus. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, Give today at northvalleychurch.org.